It's your Friday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Final show of the week and a really good one at that. I'm excited about this one. I'm excited about all of them, but particularly today because Chip Scoggins joins me here in just a little while to talk about his excellent, outstanding profile of Chloe Johnson, the Duluth basketball star. So much more to that story. Maybe you've read it already, went online, StarTribune.com on Thursday, still, of course, available on StarTribune.com right now, and will be in your Sunday newspaper, a long read. Nobody does those better, at least at our paper, and I would argue um, few do it better than Chip nationally, if anyone. Um, those long reads that he's done over the years for the Star Tribune, this is another one that uh, that he absolutely knocked out of the park. So we will talk more about that story and a little bit more at the end of the segment about another story that he has, he has coming out on Sunday. Chip, um, never one to, uh, to be not busy. I probably could have phrased that better, but you know what I mean. Chip likes to... Chip likes to keep going, keep moving, and uh, the production, what he does, um, the quality, uh, just outstanding. And this was another example of that. So hope you enjoy that conversation in just a little bit. End of the show. I want to talk about Kirk Cousins. If you've been trying to connect the dots on what might happen with Kirk Cousins in free agency this offseason, um, Vikings quarterback, of course, dots... Leading towards Atlanta got more interesting yesterday with a couple of things, um, some reporting on Bill Belichick, a video um, that was posted yesterday, a conversation between Kirk Cousins and a, a reporter for CBS Sports. So we'll get into that in a little bit at the end of the show as well. Not so much a, oh, here's a smoking gun. This is definitely where Kirk Cousins is going to wind up, but a intrigue, interesting um, development in, hey, if he, if he doesn't stay in Minnesota, if things don't look like they're going down that path, maybe uh, this is more fodder for the Atlanta idea. First, though, what did I miss? But they are who we thought they were. That, of course, is a clip from the late Dennis Green, former Vikings coach. This is when he was coaching in Arizona. You'll recall they blew a lead, lost to the Bears, and he had a fiery post-game speech that, of course, included that um, that key phrase. This I will apply to Minnesota teams on, uh, on Thursday night. Timberwolves, Wild, Gophers men's basketball, all in action. Timberwolves have been good all year, uh, better than good. They've been great all year. They are now 30-11 and 11 after beating Memphis. Weird game last night, um, a 9 o'clock local tip-off, a TNT game. Um, second game of a back-to-back for the Wolves. Looked a little a little sleepwalky through the first half, but again, this is a team good enough to do that a lot of times, at least against inferior opponents, and Memphis qualifies as such this season, especially as constructed right now. No John Morant. He missed a lot of early time with that suspension and is now out for the year with that injury. Um, a lot of Memphis's other key players not playing in this game. Wolves heavy favorites kind of let Memphis hang around for the first, you know, two and a half, three quarters. Memphis actually had a, a lead going into the fourth, and then the Wolves turned it on. Ant turned it on. Remember when people said Ant, by the way, didn't like basketball? There was like a quote before he got drafted that was blown out of proportion, or right before he started playing that got blown out of proportion. And yeah, I think Ant likes basketball. The the dunk he had where he threw it off the backboard to himself was utterly fantastic. 
He had a monster second half, just pure joy out on the court, everything he does in basketball. I think Ant definitely likes basketball, and I think Wolves fans definitely like and love this team. Like I said, 30 and 11 at the break, and not at the break, but at the halfway point of this season. That is a pace for 60 wins. That's an easy pace to calculate. You're, you're halfway into the year, and you've got 30 wins. A pace for 60 wins. That is something else for this team. Now, that is kind of, you know, we saw the start they had to this year. They were like 16 and 4 at one point. You're like, okay, then they kind of hit a little bit of a lull. They had to play some of these hard teams, but they've kind of come out of that. They are what we thought they were at the start of the year. They are a very good team. I don't know what kind of playoff team they're going to be. I don't know how far this goes, but this is a very good regular season team and a team that should earn a top four at least seed in the West, have a chance to win at least one playoff series. Like we're just putting bare minimum expectations, possibilities out there. Definitely a possibility that they can do more than that, but I'm going to I'm going to let them walk a little bit before they run. But they are what we thought they were two months ago. This is a good team, a very good team. The Wild loses 7-3 to to Tampa Bay one game after snapping a losing streak, winning 5 nothing. You're like, okay, maybe the Wild are back. They've been up, down, up, down. Maybe it was going to be another upswing. Thursday was a disaster. We find out Jared Spurgeon, their best defensive player, or at least one of their best defensive players, out for the season. Just an accumulation of injuries. He can't fight through it. He's going to have surgery. Be back in time, it sounds like, for the start of next year. This year, though, um, getting away from them quickly there. I think eight game, eight points out of the, wild, the last wild card spot now. They've got some promise, right? Like Brock Faber is a Calder, Calder candidate. He's up there. Um, in the in the in the candidates for top rookie, Marco Rossi should get some votes too. Like they've got some young players who are doing some good things, but the the puzzle, the complete picture for this team didn't look right at the start of the year. Led to the firing of Dean Evason. They bring in John Hines, kind of get that little bounce for a couple weeks, get win some games, start playing better. They're healthy. Then injuries hit them. Even now that they're getting healthier again, Kaprizov back, Gustafson back, getting some of these guys back. I know they just lost Spurgeon, Brodeen back. Um, even getting some of these guys back, they don't look like a complete team. They look like some mismatched parts just aren't adding up to the whole. That's what they looked like at the start of the year. That's what they are right now. That's what they look like in a 7-3 loss. The power play for Tampa Bay gets three goals. The Wilds penalty kill remains the worst in the NFL they are what we thought they were. They are not a great team. They are not a good team. They're not the worst team in the league. They can still beat good teams on certain nights. But this is not, I don't think, a playoff team. Worried about them for the rest of this season. Worried about them next year, too, until they finally get to that 2025-26 season where they're not in cap jail anymore when those Suter Parisi buyouts essentially come off the books. I think there's like a little bit of money left on them, but not the 15, you know, 12, 15 million dollars. It's like a million or so. So the cap goes up, their effective space goes way up. And so you got to wait, though. You got to wait like a year and a half. They are what we thought they were. They are not a great team this year. Gophers men's basketball, they lose at Michigan State. We were all getting kind of excited about this team. They were three and one in the Big Ten. They'd won at Michigan, had a good, you know, had a good home win against Nebraska earlier this year, came home after Michigan, beat Maryland, a couple teams that are struggling this year, but name brand programs, right? So they're three and one. You're like, okay, they've got three games coming up before a home game against Wisconsin. They had, you know, tough games at Indiana, home against Iowa, and at Michigan State. And you're like, okay, you look at it, you say, okay. If this team 
is going to take a step this year. They really probably need to win at least one of those games. You probably circled the, the home game against Iowa. Iowa's not been great this year. Uh, Gophers, I think, were actually favored to win that game. But they lose at Indiana, they lose at Iowa, and they go to Michigan State last night and lose again. So now they're 3-4 and four in the Big Ten, carrying a three-game losing streak into that home uh, home game against Wisconsin coming up here, I believe, on the 23rd. Um, you know, trying their, trying, the, the effort's there, the talent is better, a couple little injuries here and there, but kind of worried that they are what we thought they were too. Not to say they're as bad as they've been the last couple years, but to say that they are not quite ready to jump into that middle pack of the Big Ten. Not ready to say, hey, if this is 16 teams right now, not ready to say they could be 7th or 8th. Might be more like 12th or 13th still this year. That's an improvement. How much of an improvement is debatable? How how Where they can finish this year, still up for grabs. But looking at them right now, kind of feeling like, based on what we knew at the start of the year, they are what we thought they were as well. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino, let your story begin. It's my privilege, as always, to have Star Tribune columnist Chip Scoggins on the show Right now, we've talked about many things over the last few years of Daily Delivery Chip, but I always love to have you on, particularly after you've written one of what's become kind of your signature long features. You had another one, went online Thursday, will be in the Sunday print edition. Chloe Johnson, um, basketball phenom from Duluth. More than just that, though, um, overcoming a lot of obstacles, personal life adversity, and just a phenomenal story, Chip. So first off, congratulations and welcome. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me, and thanks for wanting to talk about Chloe. It was uh, uh, a friend had tipped me off to Chloe. I didn't know about her. Um, he had saw a, a write-up about her in one of the recruiting websites, and it had mentioned some of the, the challenges that, that Chloe faces uh, with her obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety and a, um, a condition I had never heard of called selective mutism. And so I reached out and talked to her mom and parents and met them for lunch and spent uh, six, seven, last six, seven months uh, traveling up to Duluth uh, seven or eight times just to spend time with Chloe and her family. And uh, I'm happy that uh, we're able to get to share the story now. Yeah. I mean, we, a lot of different, things we should talk about in relation to the story. Hope everybody who's listening has read it. If you have not, obviously, like I just said, go find it on startribune.com or wait for it in your Sunday print edition. Um, Just what a remarkable combination of basketball skill, but also, like you said, these challenges that she faces and how those two things work together. That's that's probably the, the most fascinating thing about this is how you know, you read stories, you hear stories. I've even done stories about how sports being a way, you know, into a life, into being, you know, into a salvation, things like that. This feels even more, it's, this feels different though, than just like using sports to overcome a tragedy or to distract yourself. This is an integral part of 
being her best self, it seems like. Yeah, without a doubt, because her uh, OCD symptoms are so severe and she's learned to manage them more now. But, as, you know, when she was at eight, nine, 10 years old, they were debilitating. I mean, they consumed her life, her parents' life, her family's life each day. Um, bat, the basketball court, she told me, is the only place where she feels free. Her mind stops working. She's able to just free herself from all the, the compulsions, the random thoughts that can paralyze her. When she's on a basketball court, she said that's her safe place. That's where she fares, feels free. Uh, her mind doesn't feel any anxiety. And so she can just be, she can just immerse herself in the basketball. And she's become, uh, for people who haven't read the story, she's one of probably the best eighth grade girls basketball player in the country. And she's playing on an AAU team. The all Iowa attack is one of the premier AAU teams in the country. And she plays on their top team, the 17 U. So she plays with the seniors, uh, the youngest player they've ever had on that team, younger de- even than Caitlin Clark. So that tells you what kind of prodigy she is. But she has found an escape um, from her challenges with OCD and anxiety in basketball. And she just, when she gets on a court, that's where she feels free. Since you talked about the basketball a little bit, let's stay there for a minute and then get back to some of the personal uh, stuff that you got into in the story. Uh, basketball wise, like what it just sounds like she does everything well, just vision, shooting, just power. Yeah. How, how do you describe her as a player, even when you've got that whole package? Yeah, it's interesting. She's 14 years old and she's a point guard, but she's five foot 11 and incredibly strong. She does not, when you watch her in a court, you would not say there's an eighth grader, you would say there's a senior, just the way she can overpower uh, people. I always say, um, Paige Beckers is flashy. We all remember Paige and the spectacular plays that she made. Chloe's not like that. Chloe does everything well, but in a just a cerebral way. She's a combination of power and grace. She can shoot it really well from three point. Here's the thing, Mike. She's 14 years old. Now, she's not facing the best competition up in Duluth. Uh, she's at Duluth Marshall that. High School, right? That's where she's Duluth plays. Marshall, yeah. Right. But they, they, her team does come down to the cities to play yeah. bigger teams, better, so so they get better competition because sometimes she doesn't get challenged that much up there. But she's a 14 year old eighth grader, and she ranks among the state leaders in every single statistical category: shooting, scoring, rebounding, steals, blocks, assists. She does it all. I mean, she's just so. And, and her, her coach calls her – her trainer, Diami Starks, we can talk about the impact that he's had in her life. But he calls her a savant because of the way she sees the game. She studies the game. And I think she – I think because of uh, how her brain works sometimes, she sees the game differently. She plays the game differently. You just – it's hard to describe, but you watch her and you know you're seeing something brilliant but it's not flashy brilliant. You just see that she's so much better at a different level than everybody else on the court. Uh, and then you, and then you stop wait. I remember watching her and she's just dominating this game. And I'm thinking she's 14 years old. She's an eighth grader. This is not supposed to be happening. Right. Um, so she, and she works hard at it. She spends four or five, six hours a day on the court, working on her skills, working on her game, working on her strength. 
And this is because she wants to, because she needs to. You mentioned her trainer. Really, I mean, more than that, family, friend, someone who's become a key to all of this, to kind of the evolution of her, not just as a player, but as a as a young person. Yeah, his name is Diami Starks. He was a, a star basketball player at Duluth East High School, played Division One basketball, uh, a couple schools, played overseas professionally. His dad, Will Starks, was a well-known figure in the Duluth basketball scene. He was a coach and trainer, skills trainer. You know, when kids want extra training, they'd go see him. Uh, he died in 2015, and Diami came home to help support his mom and younger sister, who was a teenager at the time, and kind of took over what his dad was doing. And and uh, Chloe has an older brother named Brooks, who's a junior at uh, Duluth Marshall, who's a Division One prospect, a really good player. Uh, so his, their parents took uh, uh, Brooks to see Diami when he was in sixth grade and brought Chloe along with him, and – something magical happened. I mean, it lit a fire. Uh, she didn't say a word, but she just did everything intentionally with great effort, great purpose, great focus more than anything, all the drills that the army did. And so they just started coming back and they, they, they created this relationship. That's more than coach or mentor. As the told me, he said, I can crack her code because she's tough to, uh, because she, she doesn't talk a lot. She's very focused, very driven, but they kind of speak the same language in terms of basketball. And, and those two work so hard. I, I watched a number of their workouts, just those two in the gym. I watched them one day, Mike, work 50 minutes straight on layups, on just layups over and over, making sure it was perfected. And he has become a just a, a irreplaceable presence in her life to the point where uh, – the uh, Johnsons, Heather and Greg, basically <laughs> welcomed him to the family, and he's over there all the time. And and it's not always rosy because he's he's tough. He gets on her, he pushes her. But uh, as Greg said, her Chloe's dad, the love is always there, and it's never you know this guy's trying to harm our daughter. That they know what he means to her and what he's trying to accomplish and what she uh, wants from Diami in terms of that coaching. And so. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating relationship, those two and how, uh, this guy who was just a skills trainer has now become such an integral part of her life. They have a basketball court at their house too, which yeah. is interesting to me. Yeah. So, they, you know, as, as she got older, they realized that because I mean, she was on the court all the time and they were always trying to find finding basketball space in Duluth is not easy <laughs> hockey no. place to the point where Diami would have to would meet her at a racquetball court in the downtown Y because they couldn't get on the gym and they would work on stuff there. But um, so they had a house that was down the road from where they are now. They sold that house. They actually got a smaller house, but they, they, uh, they built this house with a indoor basketball court attached to it. And it is phenomenal. Like if you're a basketball player, it's full court, uh, everything you can match: shooting machines, ball racks, scoreboard, speakers, it's, uh, workout equipment, a video game, everything you can think of that you'd see at a you know a popular commercial type uh, gym. Uh, and that's where that's kind of their laboratory. She's in there all the time, either by herself with groups. Kids come over in the North Shore. I mean, you'll have five on five games there. Uh, Diami's always working out people there, so it's it's. As Greg, her dad said, when they realized that basketball was such an important thing for her mental health, 
they they sacrificed and did this. And he said, this is where he said, this is what uh, I want to get his quote uh, straight. But he said, this is where she feels safe and calm or f- yeah. safe and free. So, um, so yeah, that's uh, it's convenient. So you can, she can, as I had her count one time, she's 64 steps from her bedroom. And she just, when she's, uh, if there's anything going on in her life, that's, you know, creating tension or anxiety or, uh, you know, these thoughts that she's having getting stuck on, she can go in that gym and feel free. Another piece of this puzzle that you wrote about was a story about Jake Sullivan, former really good high school basketball player here, went on to star at Iowa State, right? Yep. Um, yeah. And you reference a story. Now, I'm sure in the middle of this story that you just wrote, it's not convenient or proper to say, you wrote that story. Yeah. <laughs> did you not? You wrote the Jake Sullivan story that has impacted her life. How did that feel to know about that and make that connection? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, so when I made, when I had the, the, the first conversation with Heather Johnson, uh, after I'd learned about Chloe, we were just talking on the phone and she was giving me some background and she said, and then your, your paper did this story back in 2019 on, on this basketball player, Jake Sullivan, uh, that really had a, a massive impact on our life, on our whole family. And I said, I said, ah, you know, I, I wrote that story and she kind of gasped and she's like, you know, she just couldn't believe it. And I said, um, she said that story saved Chloe's life. And I said, well, I appreciate you saying that. I'm, I'm glad he's, she's like, no, that story saved her life. And they were at the lowest that they had ever been. Chloe was 10. This was 2019, February weren't really, I mean, her OCD symptoms were so debilitating and so consuming um, every day that they, the parents had exhausted all kinds of different parenting tricks, tactics, uh, tried different things to try to help her through this and navigate it, but they were just exhausted. They weren't sure really how to proceed. <clears throat> and Heather's sister, uh, Steph, who's an aunt there, lives there, she said, called her one Sunday morning and said, you're not going to believe this. You got to read this story in Star Tribune about Jake Sullivan. It's a long form profile that I had done on Jake and he had opened up about his OCD uh, that he dealt with privately and shared, you know, a lot of the things that he went through. And it was just a, it hit Heather like a lightning bolt. She said, this is, this is Chloe. This is, these are the things that Chloe. So uh, her sister said, you should call, reach out to Jake, try to get in touch with him. So she called, left a message at his employer, Jake called him back that night. They had an uh, hour conversation. He walked him through it. And he said, this is what you have to do to manage this. This is, you're going to have, it's going to require tough parenting. Um, he gave him tricks. Uh, I don't want to say tricks. That's not the right. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tips, tactics. Shortcuts. Yeah. Tips, like yeah kind suggestions. Of- yeah. Uh, and one of them was when, when Chloe gets stuck on a thought that she just can't get off of, you know, Joe, uh, uh, Jake said, picture a trash can in your mind, take that thought and throw it in the trash can. And that helped her. She uses it today. If she gets stuck on something or she's feeling anxious, she'll say that's something I need to throw in a trash can. And so, and, and Jake, they, they, because of the basketball circles and Jake's son, JJ is, you know, a really good player at East Ridge or at East Ridge at a, a Eden Prairie. They, uh, they run into, to Jake from time to time at, at travel. And so they become family friends and they steadfastly believe. And I think that's a big part of why they're sharing their story because that story changed their lives they said it saved chloe's life and now they're hoping 
Chloe's story does the same for someone else. And we're already starting to see that I've been contacted a number of times this morning from people that want to write Chloe's letters that have, or have kids or people they've gone through it. And so, um, yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's always tricky when you're writing a story to interject something that you've done. But in talking to Chris Carr or Ed, it's like, I don't know how you could write this story and not because it is such an, it was such a defining moment in their life. And because of that, they saw hope, they found light, they found a way forward. And it really, the steps that he took um, changed how they started to manage her, her OCD symptoms. And so it was such a uh, big part of her story that, uh, you know, you, you could not, not include it. Of course. And it's just, it's fascinating to me. And it's gotta be just like double, triple, however gratifying for you. Like it's probably humbling. You're probably like, I yeah. did that. I did that. Like, you know, well, I didn't do it. Jake did it. You know, of course. I, yes. you know it, it, you know, I get a little choked up here. Um, yeah. You hope you, you make an impact when you're doing journalism, but I, you know, I've talked to Jake a number of times. I interviewed him for the story and, and I said, you know, when we sat down and he was, Jake was gung ho about his all four, um, you know, sharing his story. And I said, this is, you know, when you think back and when you hear a parent that you, you know, of a, a kid that you didn't know, say, you sharing your story saved their daughter's life. You know, I mean, that's, there's nothing more impactful or rewarding, I would think for, from your perspective. And yeah. He, he, he's grateful that he's uh, been able to come into her life and help her. Outside of basketball, what is daily life like for Chloe now at age 14 and kind of where, where does this story go from here? Do you imagine? Yeah, there, there's. Cha- I mean, she has challenges. I mean, she has hard days. I mean, there's. Um, it's as I said, OCD is not a valve that gets shut off. I mean, uh, or her anxiety. It's something that she has to deal with on a daily basis. Now she has been. Uh, she's found ways to manage it a lot better than when she was as she's gotten older, and so that's helpful. But it, the challenges are always there, and so the good thing for her, she has a support network around her, her school. She finishes two hours earlier uh, in the day than other students because uh, fatigue can really exasperate um, OCD symptoms. So uh, she doesn't, uh, uh, you know, they, the school really helps. She's good. She's allowed to take her cell phone with her uh, in, in class because of the anxiety of if, if she had to reach her parents and not having a phone that, that could create problems. So she's, the school has really done a great job of uh, supporting her and what she needs. She has this great support network and family basketball uh, players, but her, her life is very structured. I mean, it's school basketball, more basketball, more basketball. I mean, that's kind of how she approaches it. I mean, she's a unique kid because she is a teenager and anybody who has teenagers or even young kids, she does not like being on her phone. She thinks the phone's a waste of time. She averages 18 minutes of screen time a day. Yeah. Which my is kids just... too. My kids too. It's 18 minutes. <laughs> that's right. For a 14 year old. That's <laughs> unbelievable. She thinks it's a waste of time. Uh, she thinks yeah. it's, she's not, she does not, she's on social media for recruiting things, but she doesn't, she's not big into that. Um, it's basketball driven and uh, she has different things she likes i mean you know she likes to play yahtzee with her dad at night um she likes to hang out with her you know her, her cousin who's uh her best friend so she has um you know interest but a lot of it is focused on basketball and very just driven and focused 
to be great in that arena. Kind of sounds like she can play wherever she wants in college. I mean, she's in eighth grade, so it's kind of weird to say that. It's five yeah. years from now, but like well, how good she yeah. is, like it's, you know. Yeah, she has eight. She will be. I mean, she has eight um, eight scholarship offers already. Gophers, Wisconsin, Maryland, uh, you know, all Division ones, And more would offer, but I think, you know, there are schools that say, Okay, she's in eighth grade. We have time to recruit her. We don't right. have to jump in right now. Uh, so it's it's going to be fascinating. And, you know, as we talked about watching her, and I, you know, I watched her dominate these games, and I'm thinking, what is this going to look like when she's a junior and senior? And so that's you know that's going to be fascinating to see where this goes. You never know with development, but the way she works and her just her skill set and her size. I mean, she is so strong. And five eleven and a point guard and all that. I mean, um, she's going to just continue to get better. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the next, you know, four and a half years. And she'll be able to go wherever she wants. She'll be the, you know, top five player in the country, and every school will offer. So and then that'll be. That's where I think it's good that she has such a tight knit, yeah, support network around her to help her through. Because as you know, Mike, you've covered it. Recruiting's hard for top level hmm. guys. The pressures of schools wanting you and it's you're you're hearing it constantly. Everything sounds great. Come here, come there. And so it, you know, and then you add on top of it some of the challenges she faces in dealing with her OCD and anxiety. So the good news is she has such a loving and tight support system around here that uh they will help her through this, no doubt. Yeah. That's amazing. What a, a tremendous story. Um, anything more to add before I <laughs> mention another story that's coming out <laughs> yeah. Sunday? No, I, I hope people read it, and I hope um, uh, people understand and appreciate just the courage it takes because I kept telling myself this throughout the process that don't forget this is a 14-year-old girl. Yeah, and as mature as she is and and both personality wise but also basketball wise when you see her you're like oh my gosh she's an 18 year old you know she plays like a college player she's a 14 year old kid and for her to trust me and her family to trust me to tell her story i think is remarkable and inspiring and and i'll never take that for granted and i'm uh, just so appreciative and so i hope people keep that in mind when you read what she's sharing and what she hopes comes out of it. Um, I had, I had had a list of questions for her that one of our final visits and she loves to write um, probably more than talk to, you know, a, sure. a reporter, but as you know, a number of interviews with her, but I had some follow up questions and Chloe wanted to write them down. She, she loves to write. She has journals. And so she, the next day they sent me pages and pages of notes that Chloe had written me. And, you know, one of them was that she thinks it's good to share uh, the challenges and the struggles that you go through. So you're not suffering in silence and it may help someone else. And I think she had Jake in mind and what he did for her. And so uh, I hope her story inspires somebody if they're feeling alone or, or going through challenges similar to what she is, that they're not alone and that there's someone that, you know, is uh, uh, talking about it and is a resource there. Cause I, I think the family appreciates all the messages they're hearing today from people that are kind of going through similar things. It's fantastic. That's as good as it can get. Um, Chip, you're taking our 
publisher's initiative to cover the greater <laughs> state of Minnesota to personal heart. You will not only have one, but two bylines in Sunday's paper, just kind of the way the timing works out. You also have a big piece on Coy Parrish, the big um, recruit for the Gophers, who you know, is an MVP of the All-Star game a couple weeks ago, is, you know, by all accounts, one of their you know, one of the more exciting recruits to come here in a while. What did you learn about him, and and what should we learn in that story? Yeah, so I went up there twice. I went and spent uh, some time with uh, Coy and his parents at their house um, and at school. It's an an Esco? Esco, yeah. So it's uh, not far from Hermantown, which is where Chloe lives, probably, I don't know, five miles maybe. Yeah. But um, And then I went back the the next night to watch – uh, Esco with Coy uh, take on Cherry with Isaac Asima, who's oh, nice. uh, yeah. the Gopher recruit, and it was a heck of a, it was an unbelievable atmosphere. They actually had to turn some people away because it was so sold out. We were standing along the baseline, uh, Cherry one. But I will say this: uh, everything I've heard about uh, Coy's athleticism is that, and then some. He is freakishly athletic. Um, the way he springs off the floor, runs, it's unique to say the least. Um, and he is super confident kid, uh, super competitive kid. Uh, he's coming to Minnesota with an agenda to play, play to right, play right away, play great, make the Gophers uh, a better program. Uh, I had heard this story. Uh, PJ Fleck mentioned it uh, during his, the signing day thing, and I double back with PJ on text because I want to make sure it's true. But PJ went up there, watched him play, and Coy had already returned a couple interceptions for a touchdown remember this, yeah he uh he picked off another one and was running down the sideline to score a touchdown he spotted pj on the sideline and pointed at him <laughs> so i asked pj i was like is that true and he's like it 100 was true he said there's a picture of it floating around <laughs> he's a very com- he's a very confident young man uh and he is when i say athletic he is incredibly athletic Sounds like the kind of personality that they could maybe use over there. If he's got some of that flair to him in the right way, like, I, I mean, I, I don't mean to make comparisons, but, and it's a completely different sport, but like Royce Lewis comes to mind, just like somebody yeah. who's got that, like, who knows he's good, who exudes that confidence, doesn't make you feel bad about yourself in, in because of it, but just kind of has that it factor. He, he, he 100% has the it factor, and he's a guy that, I think you'd follow because he is so good. He is so athletic. He is so confident and, um, you know, making plays. He has just, he will go make up. If you saw the all-star game. Yeah. That interception the, in the, the end diving zone. interception was incredible. Yeah. The block punt. <clears throat> that's what he said. He said, my job is to go make plays. I'm going to make a play. I said, does that, you know, confidence ever get you in trouble? He said, yeah, occasionally, but then I'm gonna make it, you know, play right at I mean, he just, uh, he has a temperament that he he he. I think it would filter through teammates. Um, and he's gonna be he's gonna be fun to watch because I just watched him in basketball, and you know, he's just a, he's a seasonal basketball player. He doesn't play A yeah. and all that. He walks out and jumps, and he's you know going right at Isaac Osama, and you know Isaac played great, and he's gonna be a great player for the Gophers. But it was fun to see those two guard each other and go at it, and and. Um, Coy just at one point he had scored 16 straight of his team of his team straight points uh, on threes and putbacks and a uh, you know just jumping he's 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 a fun athlete to watch. Some great reading in the Sunday paper and maybe some great things coming to 
the Gophers football program as well. Chip Scoggins, always great to have you on the show. Congratulations again on another fantastic effort and, you know, two efforts in this case. And uh, take care. Get us get a little time off. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mikey. Appreciate it, man. Great stuff from Chip. And if you didn't complete your homework assignment that I gave you on Thursday, please do, do go read that story um, on Chloe Johnson by Chip. Um, he just talked about it a whole bunch right now. And definitely check out the Koi Parrish feature on, um, on, on Sunday as well. A lot of good reading from Chip lately and always. So go check that out. Royal Credit Union Smart Checking Accounts offer no monthly fees and no minimum balance. Enjoy financial freedom when you open your Royal Credit Union Smart Checking Account online at rcu.org slash go checking. Insured by NCUA. Let's finish with the cooler. Like I teased at the start of the show, some interesting developments as we think about the potential free agency of Kirk Cousins. Cousins slated to be a free agent in March when the league year begins. We all know about his Vikings contract. They tried to get something kind of more medium term done before last season. The sides couldn't come together on the terms, right? The, the, the length of the contract. The Vikings wanted to give him maybe two years guaranteed, which would have been at that point 23 and 24. Cousins wanted an extra year into 25. The Cousins camp wanted that. You can see why both teams had that position, right? Vikings thinking, okay, maybe at some point it's going to be time to move on. They like, they already liked the draft class of 24 quarterbacks. Now they have the number 11 pick. They probably didn't think they'd be picking that high, but they, they now have you know the number 11 overall pick. They're, they're in a spot now where if, if it was ideal, Cousins would have signed that contract the Vikings wanted a year ago. They'd have one more year of Kirk Cousins, draft their quarterback of the future right now, and then play him going forward. But that didn't happen. They, did, they couldn't agree to anything, so the Vikings put on a bunch of void years at the end of his contract and said, okay, we'll come back to the table, but essentially you can become now a free agent after the 23 season. He's having a good year. He's on a hot streak. He's among the league leaders in a lot of these statistical categories. Um, in advanced metrics like total QBR, he's in the top 10. He's having a good year, a very good year, maybe one of his best years in purple, certainly, but then he gets hurt. Vikings are 4-4 four and four at the end of that game against Green Bay. Hurts his Achilles out for the season. Should be good to go by the start of next year. That's, you know, that's kind of the comeback timeline these days. But it kind of sets this up, right? How are they going to agree on terms if they couldn't last year? What has changed this year? What what about this makes you think the Vikings have the team to compete with Kirk Cousins as a quarterback, especially if he's going to eat up a whole bunch of your cap space? I've already talked ad nauseum about how, how much of a draft deficit they're in over the last couple of years, especially relative to the rest of the division. They don't have a ton of picks this year. They've got two top 100 picks, 11 and 42. Everybody else in the division has better draft capital again this year and has used their draft capital in the past two years to much greater effect than the Vikings. They are in a talent deficit. Even if you think Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback, which I do, I don't see, in Kwesi's terms, a, a time horizon on which Kirk Cousins leads this team to anything more than the fringes of playoff contention. And that is not where I want to be if I'm a franchise. I want to hit a little bit more of a reset, a little bit more of a rebuild than what they think they're in right now. And so Kirk Cousins might, in fact, not be here. We don't know how that's going to play out. He's keeping his options open, of course. He sounded the horn in the uh, last home game. He's shirtless sounding the horn before the Packers game where they get blown out. He's saying all the right things, says, you know, 
says all the right things about being in Minnesota. So do Kwesi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell. The sides like each other, but this is more about fit, term, length, things like that. Can they come to an agreement? We don't know, and so Kirk Cousins has to keep his options open, as anyone would do. So to that, we started thinking, okay, where could Kirk Cousins go? And one of the natural potential landing places for Kirk Cousins is Atlanta. We had already connected some of the dots. Atlanta needs a quarterback. Um, their quarterback play was one of the things that held them down last year. They, they could have been a playoff team last year, but their quarterback play just was not up to snuff. Now, um, you throw in... You already threw in that Kirk Cousins has family ties there. He and his wife were married there. Uh, his wife has family. His, her parents still live in the Atlanta area. So there'd be some kind of seamless kind of personal life transition. The Cousins, of course, have two young boys. And so there'd be some, some grandparents, some, some seamless family transition. We already, know those, we already knew those two kind of external factors. Now, you, you throw this into the mix. Bill Belichick could wind up as Atlanta's head coach. There's a lot of steam about that. He's already interviewed once, reading now that he's expected to do a second interview with the Falcons this weekend. So it sounds like he is maybe getting closer to becoming the Falcons' head coach. If Bill Belichick goes to Atlanta, he is not going there to draft a rookie quarterback and do a long, protracted rebuild. He is going there to win soon, to compete now, not saying he's going to have his Tom Brady, but he's certainly not going to have his Mac Jones. He's not going there to say, okay, maybe we can develop someone. He wants someone who could step in right away and play. Kirk Cousins could do that. I think he likes Kirk Cousins. I think he would like the idea of a Kirk Cousins type quarterback. And in fact, Kirk Cousins was asked about Bill Belichick this week by a reporter from CBS Sports. Here is what he said about the possibility of playing for Bill Belichick, which he was asked about directly. Here's the full Cousins quote. He said, I'm not going to turn down an opportunity to play with a future Hall of Fame coach, but we'll have to see where March leads. There's just a lot of unknowns right now. Now, that's not like a gotcha. That's not like, a, oh, wow, Kirk Cousins definitely teaming up with Bill Belichick in Atlanta. But it's an interesting possibility, and the way he answered that question he could have answered that question in a lot of different ways. Maybe he's caught off guard. Maybe he just has a lot of admiration for Bill Belichick. He gets asked about it, and you know, all of a sudden he's like, well, I, you know, I'm not going to turn that down. Like He's one of the greatest coaches of all time, one of the most accomplished coaches of all time. But he also could have just said the second part of that quote, we don't know where March is going to lead. Who knows what's going to happen? But when he said, I wouldn't turn it down, that caught my ear in a way you know, you just hear things and you're like, bet, you could have answered that question in a lot of different ways. And that is the way you chose to answer that question. And why are you giving this answer? Why are you giving this interview in the first place right now? This is how free agency works. He wants to make sure that everybody knows, hey, I'm available. I'm out there. Um, yeah, I might consider playing for Bill Belichick, if, especially if it's in Atlanta, right? He didn't say that. But if Belichick is trending towards Atlanta, this doesn't feel like an accident to me. This feels like it's, hey, I might like to do that. Look me up. Uh, come talk to me. Let's see what happens here between us. See if we can make something happen. So I don't know where this is all going to lead. Neither does Kirk Cousins, but that was interesting to me. Another wrinkle in the, uh, hey, maybe Atlanta is a fit for Kirk Cousins train that some of us might be on. That'll do it for me today. That'll do it for me this week. Um, hope you guys have a great weekend. Back with Roycey on Monday. Tons of great stuff next week. Joe Maurer could find out on Tuesday. We'll find out for sure on Tuesday whether or not he's making the Hall of Fame. 
a lot of uh, positive momentum in that direction. So a lot of that will be covered next week as well. Until then, I'm Michael Rand. Enjoy your weekend. Back at it again on Monday.